So let's get started. Thank you, Lord, for your word and uh, for this little mini-series that we're going to launch the year with before we get into our next series, which is going to be a fairly involved survey of the whole Bible. So I'm preparing for, and I just realized I'm doing this to stall a little bit because I'm not quite ready, but I'm actually preparing a 2,000-part series that uh, will be take uh, 40 years to do, and, uh, and on the survey of the whole Bible. And what's that? No, I, I actually think that uh, Josiah or Stephen or John Gray or Daniel, one of them will be finishing it for me because I don't think I'll live long enough to do it. And although I am considering doing two a week, which will cut it down to uh, 20 years. And I'll probably live long enough for that. Although only the Lord knows those things. All right, so look, your the outline I'm using today should... Uh, Say in the bigger print at the top should say Part One A GCF Foundational Booklets, and if you no, flip it over, you'll see there's uh, an upcoming Part B. Because I didn't think I could get through all 14 books. Now the booklet you have has 12 books on it, and there's only three differences. Two two have been changed, and one has been added. Uh, I think something like that. So let's start by by reading this, and I especially would encourage. Any, any one of you, man or woman, who feels uh, a calling to care for, teach, help, pe- help God's people grow, uh, what a shepherd really is, is just somebody that does that, who cares for, teaches, encourages, counsels, helps God's people grow. And so whether you're called a shepherd or not, a lot of you do a lot of shepherding, if you don't, but you might not have that title. But you're you're uh, one of the one or two primary people that someone looks to to help them grow. And so that's a huge responsibility in the Lord. And part of what our book list is all about is to equip you to be able to do that to help a. Uh, someone who's in the process of coming to Christ, we, we make a whole lot about the conversion experience in our, in our modern Christianity, which doesn't always work out like that. Some people's conversions are more gradual. I could tell you that God brought me to Christ in 1974 from February to August or September, but I can't point to an exact day. I can point to various events that were big turning points. Uh, there are a few people, Ned Berube is one of them, my wife is one of them, but I only know a handful of people who really uh, got saved the way that people think of someone coming to Christ in our day, where it was kind of uh, someone shared the gospel with them, they prayed to receive Christ, their whole life was different. I only know a couple of people like that. Most people, it was much more of a subtle process. But... You know, when you examine these things and you read the whole and rethink the gospel and so forth, you should be able to trace these are the points of God granting me repentance, converting my heart, and making Him Lord and changing my center of gravity in my life. And you could you should have definite events that that 
you can point to that that was when that happened to you to, to one degree or another. So let's read in John 21, verses 15 to 17. Uh, of course, you probably know this is the account of John's account of Jesus restoring Peter after the resurrection and after uh, Peter had denied Jesus three times. Uh, in fact, a good key to studying Peter's life is look for things happening in threes in Peter's life. Like in Acts 10, when the sheet comes down from heaven three times, and he uh, tells uh, Peter to arise, kill, and eat, and so forth. And he opens Peter's eyes through that experience that the gospel is not for the Jews only, but it's for the whole world. Most of the big turning points in Peter's life happened in, in something happening to him three times. such as his denying Christ three times, which broke, broke him of self-righteousness and the things Josiah's trying to help us with in his current series. So John 21, 15 through 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? That's on my list of 100 questions to ask Jesus when I get to heaven. There's nowhere else Jesus uses a phrase like more than this. He's basically saying, John Gray, do you love me more than Sydney does? <laughs> and I'm like, wow, that's, I, I don't actually know why those words are there. They're in the Bible. They're the inspired word of God. I'm looking forward to asking Jesus about that when I get to heaven because I have no insight into that. Uh, maybe it's because Peter thought of himself as loving uh, Jesus more than the others. Because he, if you remember when Jesus said, you'll all deny me three times, he says, you know, I'm, uh, he, he, he denies that he would do that. <laughs> and, uh, and he thinks it's because in his own solical strength and his own zeal and so forth that he loves Jesus too much to do that. But he finds out differently, right? So I think that's why that's in there. Uh, and Peter has rightly discerned by this time that it's not a matter of something you could compare with another person, nor should you be comparing. You know, Pete, Paul tells us if we compare ourselves with ourselves, we're without understanding. And I think Jesus is kind of fishing for, as Peter, as Peter reached this understanding, that you can't look at it that way. And he, so Peter answers correctly, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Now I put feed my underline and in bold because that's the essence of what, what someone who's called to care for God's people is first and foremost called to do. Feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, this time he doesn't add more than these. He's, he's, I think Peter passed that first test. That's my, my thought on it. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. 
Now, I've always been intrigued by that because that's the one place he doesn't say feed, he doesn't say ten. So I looked up the Greek, which is bosco, or, or um, the, the, o, the first O is, is pronounced in a short O sense, and the second O is omega, which is pronounced like a long O, bosco, which means to grade, to feed, and to keep sheep. It includes feeding, but much more. It's everything you would do as a, as a, sh- a shepherd caretaker. But one of the primary things is feeding. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So notice that Jesus reinstates Peter three times, as he does so many things in Peter's life three times. Um, And that, I took that from the ESV, by the way. Uh, So, three sub-points from those verses. A, a primary way that shepherds express their love for Jesus is feeding God's people. Are you in love with Jesus? One thing that um, I think it's fair to say, I hope I don't shock any of you, that I've been faithful at some times in my Christian life, and I've been very unfaithful. Sometimes I look at my Christian life and I say, compared to how God revealed himself to me, I'm probably a disappointment, at least to myself sometimes. Other times I feel, well, by the the grace of God, I have pursued him sometimes, and I've made progress by his grace, and he's pushed me along and kept me in the race and called me back to himself and kept me studying and and so forth. But one of the things that God put in my heart from the beginning that I hope you have is a desire to know him through the scriptures and a desire to know him through the scriptures that's strong enough that you push other things out of your life to, to, to do that. I've encountered very few Christians that good leadership had to counsel that you read the Bible too much. You need to prioritize some other things. <laughs> I haven't seen that many Christians that needed to be told that. A couple. Now, second point under that is uh, a word on the eating habits of sheep. Sheep will graze in the same pasture until all the grass is gone and all the land is filled with urine and feces, and they'll keep grazing there. That's kind of disgusting, isn't it? Isn't it? (laughs) Can you think of it like they're they're grazing in the same pasture land that they urinate and, and defecate and so forth, and they just keep eating there. A shepherd moves them to fresh new grass all the time. The Lord is always moving you along to take in more of him and his word. And primarily, you know people by their words. If you know someone well, you've probably had a lot of time talking to them, each other. Right? Think of the people you know the best in life. You've probably spent the most time with them of anybody in your life. 
And you both have expressed your heart to them and you've listened to theirs. And how we, how we grow in Christ is to sit at his feet and listen to his word. So I love the story of Mar- Martha and Mary where uh, Martha's, you know, Jesus is coming to visit. And so Martha is cleaning the house and straightening it. How many people do that when someone's coming to visit? They, I, we used to entertain just because it gave us an excuse to clean up all the toys and stuff. <laughs> like, well, we have to have someone over at least once a week so we can get all the toys into the toy room instead of on the floor so you don't step on the Legos and your bare feet and so forth. Which, if you've had kids, you've stepped on Legos in your bare feet, probably. <laughs> uh, and other things you don't want to step on. Bare feet or not. So, Martha is really getting prepared for, you know, like she wants the house to look right and the meal to be just right and, and uh, the kids to be dressed right and the toys put away and and she wants it all just right when Jesus gets there. Right? Remember? And do I have my Martha's and Mary's right? And Mary's the one who says is more over sitting at Jesus' feet listening to his word. And when Mary tries, or when Martha tries to tell, yeah, Jesus, tell Mary to help me with the preparation and stuff. He says, Mary's chosen the best part, which won't be taken away from her. And isn't that the challenge of modern life? In their stages in life, you have the most ability uh, to push the other things aside and sit at Jesus' feet and read his word and grow in Christ before you have kids, especially if you're single. You have the least ability when your kids are little. That's the hardest time to to spend time with the Lord and to grow in life and so forth. Because like having little kids is way worse than being a pastor. Because little kids are needy, and they're needy all the time. In the middle of the night, they're needy at very inconvenient times, right? Is that right? <laughs> Daniel, couldn't you wait till 2 o'clock to be needy? <laughs> you know, I didn't, have this, I didn't have this interruption scheduled. So sheep, sheep uh, will not move themselves on, and they'll just eat till the food, to what they're eating is old, stagnant, defecated on, and so forth. And that's what we do in our own Christian life. We make, uh, most people, if you're here today, you probably had some times where God intervened in your life and you move forward in the things of God tremendously for three months or three years or six years or seven years. But nobody stays in that place. Trust me, I've walked with the Lord 49 years now. It's, this is my 50th year. It was 50 years ago next month that things started happening. And, uh, you know, I stop. I've had enough. I'm not hungry. Uh, and the Lord has to, has to move me along. So in, in that, I would encourage you in terms of your Bible study and your book reading, consider some extrinsic motivation 
like John Gray and his wife have a little Bible reading contest, and they got like side bets on it. I forget if it's a good dinner or whatever. Whatever they were telling me about it, and uh, so it's it's a very playful thing, and uh, it's not heavy duty like football competition. But uh, but I did see John tackle Leah when she was trying to read her Bible. <laughs> no, <laughs> she was going to get her Bible, and John tackled her so she couldn't get there. No, uh, consider like having someone who holds you accountable, you know, and, and even talk over what your goals are with someone. Third point under that John 20 here is um, if you use the GCF book list that we have as a goal, um, It'll challenge you to grow. It'll challenge you to eat more and, um, and to, um, it'll ensure that you're eating good things. One of the things that definitely happens is um, I, all the time people will say, I'm reading this book or that book. What, we're try, what we try to do by providing the book list and so forth is, is start getting you equipped because you're inevitably going to read books that aren't on the list, which is fine. And, and uh, that's how I find books usually. I, I made, took time today to, to, to note three people on, the, on, on these books that I found this book through a, a person who told me about it. But uh, what, what the good foundations in your life will do is give you more discernment about what you're reading is good or not good. And you have to have a certain amount of biblical knowledge and theological knowledge and church history knowledge and history of theology knowledge to, have the, to be equipped to have the discernment as to what's a good book and what's not a good book. Then that's, that's a proper uh, goal that every ch- ch- church should have is to give you some guidance on how to read and what to read. In fact, I'm going to do a week in this little mini-series we're doing, uh, reminding us of the three philosophies of Bible translations and going through about 20 English Bible translations on the market today and telling you some of their strengths and weaknesses. Because uh, one thing that helps me keep the word fresh is occasionally change, change the translation I'm reading it out of. For years, I read out of the 1970s one version of the New American Standard Bible. I eventually am so open to change and moving along that I changed to the 1995 version of the New American Standard Bible. I still don't like the 2020 version of the New American Standard Bible yet. It's too modern for me. But, uh, uh, but you know, I've enjoyed the ESV, the NLT, et cetera, et cetera. And you should know a little bit about uh, what uh, the difference between a literal equivalence, a dynamic equivalence, a paraphrase, and which Bibles on the market are which, and and uh, because it helps you in, in reading the Bible to know that stuff. So we're we're going to have one message on that. So with that in mind, let me get through as many of them today in the 15 minutes I have left. Uh, God's big purchase, or tracing the storyline of the Bible. I'm just going to read what I have here first. Today, God's big picture is is the easiest and most helpful short survey of the Bible that we have found. I've looked for this for years and years and read a lot of them. Uh, that's, 
the easiest to understand and while while getting it right about what are the major points of any short book on the on the survey of the Bible that I've, I've found yet. If you haven't read God's big picture, that should be a high priority for you. It, it is important. This is this is something that John Gray and I have spent a lot of time on because I, I met John about twelve or thirteen years ago now. Right? Seems like that's about right. And uh, the biggest need he had in his life was to learn to read the Bible in a bigger way, to not get bogged down in one verse and to, and to identify the major things God is doing in the Bible, the major themes, the ma- major concepts like covenant and, and things like that and sovereignty and so forth. And we, the way we're taught to by, in churches today we have a teaching that's usually uh, about, two, they read a passage, two or three verses, and teach on that passage. And you're kind of taught to zoom in on one passage and think about it when you need to learn to read whole books of the Bible and say, what is Matthew trying to say in his whole book? And, where, and then how does Matthew present Christ the same or differently than the other books of the Bible? And uh, how does Matthew tie into the rest of the storyline of the Bible? It's one reason we recommend the Reformation Study Bible, because it has an introductory section that answers all those questions for every book. They have a section that talks about how this Bible reveals Christ, a very important thing to have. Um, They have a section about how this ties in with the storyline of the rest of the Bible, and they have a section about what are the major theological themes in this, in this book. And you should think about those three things with every book. How does this book reveal Christ? How does this, this book relate to the other books? Where does it fit in in the overall scheme of the Bible? Not just like, well, it's number 27 out of the 39 books of the Old Testament. <laughs> okay, that's not that helpful. So, Vaughn Roberts does a really good job of identifying the kingdom of God as the major theme of the Bible and the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ as king of that kingdom. Uh, so, he, he gives us an easy to read on an introductory survey. He does this by focusing on the development of the kingdom of God and the unfolding revelation of Jesus Christ. I just said that. Each of eight, eight chapters combines a word starting with P, followed by the primary theme of the kingdom. So his chapters include the pattern of the kingdom, the perished kingdom, the promised kingdom, partial kingdom, prophesied kingdom, present kingdom, proclaimed kingdom, or perfected kingdom. As the title suggests, this book is an excellent initiation for reading the entire Bible and identifying its largest theme, the kingdom of God and the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ as king of that kingdom. Uh, the, I, I think, I, forget, I can't remember if it was John Weiss that, that first told me about that book or not, but somebody uh, from our church told me about that book, and I, after I read all the stuff on, it was actually on the uh, list. Do you guys remember uh, a teacher at Dominion named Jackson who taught their Bible survey class? I think it was on their, their church's list of books or whatever. 
when I first encountered it. And it was actually, uh, the denomination he was from, it was on their websites, the national list of books. When I first read about it. Um, The second book is called The Heart of the Old Testament, A Survey of Key Theological Themes. Now, hopefully you remember we try to have a book of the year every year. That was our book of the year, I don't know how many years ago. I first encountered this because I used to substitute teach for uh, Father Wayne McNamara at Dominion Academy for his Bible survey class sometimes. And he gave me a copy of that book because he was using it for his Bible survey class. And as soon as I saw the subtitle... Uh, a survey of key theological themes. I was like, great, that's what we're after. We're trying to get people to read the Bible that way. And everything in contemporary Christianity tries to get you to form major ideas out of little passages that ends up in a lot of crazy thinking. And... uh, I would almost say if you, uh, people who struggle with Grace Christian Fellowship, it's because you've been taught to read the Bible that way instead of reading the Bible for the major themes first and then fix, fitting the individual passages in a, a bigger grid. That's a, that's a thing that we go after a lot. So uh, that, that could cause trouble for some people, I would imagine. Um, Let's, let's just read. This, this excellent book discusses nine major themes in ten chapters. Covenant gets two chapters, which makes sense. It's an old covenant and a new covenant. That the reader of Scripture should look for when one is reading through the Old Testament. Learning to read the Bible by identifying and focusing on the primary or dominant themes is a missing element for many evangelicals today and a source of much confused thinking about the Bible. Young blood will help many readers to a more productive relationship to Scripture. Youngblood's nine major biblical themes are well chosen and include monotheism, sovereignty, election, covenant, theocracy, law, which by the New Testament becomes a topic in theology you should know called theonomy, and uh, sacrifice, faith, and redemption. Perhaps a teaching series on each of these would be in order. So the heart of the Old Testament, uh, again, Wayne McNamara first recommended it to me. I've read it a couple times. It's a really good little short book. One of the reasons most of the books on the foundational book list were chosen, uh, John and Emily did a lot of work on this some years ago, and at the time we had some outreaches that, were, that we've had intermittent success with to, to people who didn't have the best reading skills. And so the, the books on the foundational books are, have been chosen partly because they're easier to read than the books on that say eight, you know, uh, may, other books on eight major themes. Frankly, you'll get more in the long run if you have the foundational books down well. Start working on the eight major theme type books. A lot of them are more insightful and deeper and so forth, but they're almost all harder to understand. Um, the foundational books were chosen because they're easy to understand and easy to read. And John and Emily did a lot of good work on that, and I hadn't even thought of that idea until they brought it to my attention. 
making the books on the foundational list easier. Uh, that's, that's been a criticism that I fielded of our church at times from people who have visited enough to kind of know what we're about that, that were uh, probably too difficult to understand for a lot of people today. And that's, um, you know, there's kind of this whole uh, movement that you should dumb down what your worship and dumb down your teaching. And there's books about how to dumb down your worship and how to dumb down your teaching in the church gross uh, literature. But then I'm glad there's books like... Um, there's a pastor at uh, the Assemblies of God Church over on Smithville that had a book in his office, and I, how, something about how to worship without dumbing down. And I was like, I want to read this one. <laughs> Can I borrow that book off your shelf? Um, today's gospel, authentic or synthetic, I think in the early 90s, uh, this was recommended to me by Stephen Shepard. A lot of you know him. Uh, and I would say that prior to that time, we'd been looking for an outstanding short presentation of the biblical gospel with little to no success. Since that time, we've been looking for another recommended summary of the biblical gospel, and again, with limited success. Now, on the, this list called uh, uh, Books on Eight Other Topics, there are three or four gospel books, and those are the best that I've been able to find. There's not a lot of great books on the gospel out there. Um, of course, in today's gospel, uh, Walter Chantry uses the biblical account of the rich young ruler found in Mark 10 to present the true nature of the gospel. Excellent and an excellent aid to fruitfulness in evangelic discipleship. Sydney had a, was it Sydney? Somebody had a word that included something about evangelism today. Who was that? You or you? You did. Okay. And um, I thought, isn't that interesting? Because that's what our leaders are going to be meeting about. We, we really uh, kind of need to find some new and productive and fruitful ways to re- reach the lost world with the gospel. And that's what we're going to be really working on this year. And I, I have some brainstorming ideas that I'm going to bring to the meeting. Hopefully others also have some. But we're going to try to get more focused on reaching out again. What happens inevitably to any Christian community is eventually you could and should have very good relationships. And I think as a whole in our church, we have good friendships, good relationships. We like each other. We like to have each other open. I, was, I, 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 was, I find little things that please me that happen. And uh, you know, this was a sad day. Anvesh was out of town. Stephen Leopold was out of town the night that uh, John Luke's, the afternoon that John Luke's father died. And, um, you know, I was kind of taking a a Sunday of not feeling that well, and so I was sort of still in my pajamas in the middle of the afternoon. So I said, well, I'll get up, get washed up, get shaved, get dressed and all that, and go spend some time with John Luke. By the time I did that, I reached out to find out where John Luke was, and he was at Sydney's house, spending time with Sydney. And by the time I got there, there were seven or eight other brothers there already. And within the next hour or so, there was maybe like ten brothers there, nine or ten or something like that. And that was with some of John Luke's most key brothers in his life were out of town. 
And so I, I thought that was good. And I, I hope we'll always be that kind of way. And um, being that I'm a slowpoke, I was glad that there were, you know, there were at least six or seven guys beat me there. Kona <laughs> uh, knows full well that I dilly-dally too much. Anyway, um, we need to be given some thought to evangelistic outreach to, to making disciples and to get engaged in doing that again. Because it's almost inevitable. Like I watch us at social events. We sit with the people from our church if we're at an event this multiple church. We hang out with the people at our church. We, we need to learn to do some outreach again. We need to get refocused on that. You know, the part of the reason... No one's going to like this. I'm going I'm to get flack for this. Part of the reason to have great relationships is so that you can leave them to go help someone else. Seriously. And, uh, you know, I, I have a great situation at my house with my wife and Golda, and we, we live happily ever after. But you know what? <laughs> But, but uh, you know, like, but I'm not focused there. And there, there's a time, and some people probably need, especially when you have small children, to uh, be called into more focus at home. Uh, but until you have small children, have good relationships so that you can, so that you can put some weight on them. And reach out and help other people. When you have small children, it's probably logistically one of life's most difficult seasons. But um, until such time and after that time, do plenty of outreach. Uh, Basic Christianity by John Stott. Uh, Bradbury was here earlier. She got children's church or something. He was the, actually the first person I asked to read that book when we were starting to meet about the Lord and about the gospel, and, and that was one of the first books I asked him to read. Um, I should have known more about John Stott before then. Um, I didn't. John Stott's now, like most of the good names on this list, has now passed away. <laughs> most of the good books are written by de- old dead people, and, uh, but they wrote them when they were alive. <laughs> John Stott kind of opened my eyes, although C.S. Lewis, I think, is the author of the Lord Liar Lunatic uh, argument that Josh McDowell also uses, borrowed from C.S. Lewis. Um, But Stott backs into it from a different direction. He just basically tells you these are the things Jesus claimed about himself. And he kind of takes you to the point where you got to realize either Jesus is the Lord God Almighty or he was crazy. No, if John Gray told me those kind of things about himself, I'd get him, I'd say, you need a better pastor than me to help you. <laughs> Fortunately, he's never done that. <laughs> but, you know, if, if some of you started telling me that some of the things about yourself that Jesus says about himself, I would be like, 
Lord, why me? <laughs> Get take this out of some other church to help him. Jesus says amazing things about who he is. And so you, the, the problem is Jesus' entire life and everything he said forces you to make a decision about who he is. He either is all those amazing things or he's not. And if he's not, he's a lunatic. And, and uh, Stott does a really good job with that. You, you have to accept Jesus' claims about who he is. You can't, or you have to bury your head in the sand and try to run from him. Jesus didn't leave it. The, the, the reason Jesus was crucified was he didn't leave it so you could just say, ah, that's Jesus, who cares? He forced the, he forced the world around him to make a decision. We either are going to worship you and follow you and obey you, or we got to kill you. And John Stott helps you see that as an, as an apologetic approach to Christianity in a tremendous, simple-to-read book. The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. Um, he has a two-part series on the attributes of God, but this one is shorter and more accessible, and uh, you know he's a very beloved type of pastor and so forth. Um, the reason I like Tozer more, probably a lot of you know A.W. Pink's uh, book called The Attributes of God. Um, A.W. Pink's book is excellent, but it's dry reading. You know, the, he's part of the Frozen Chosen, and he writes that way. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Tozier, you can't, you can't keep reading. You start crying and stuff. You start worshiping. You start speaking in tongues. You, your, your book gets all wet, and you have to put it down and decide to read an electronic copy so you won't destroy it when you, because you're worshiping. <laughs> stuff like that. Uh, Tozier's book, uh, he he had such a depth himself with the Lord that that comes through in his writings in such a way that you, as you're reading about the attributes of God, you're encountering him over and over and over again. And that was one of the most enjoyable books for me to read that I've ever read. The Disciplined Life, number six, because i got to stop here. Uh, maybe I'll... No, I'm, I'm going to do this one, then we'll do seven and eight next week. The Disciplined Life, uh, The Mark of Christian Maturity, had about 104 publications before Richard Shelley Taylor died in his mid-90s. I think he lived the book because to, to, he stayed in the ministry until he was like in his early 90s. Uh, he was, he, I think he was a very disciplined guy. It, uh, it's, chapter 6 is on how to be uh, a disciplined person, and it starts with, begin by reading the first five chapters of this book, because some of you will look at the table of contents and realizing that this is the goal, you will have jumped immediately to chapter six on how to become a disciplined person. Such an effort might be symptomatic of your lack of discipline. <laughs> I, I'll never forget reading that my sophomore year of college, and I actually had a roommate who just jumped to chapter six, and... Uh, and uh, found that waiting for him. 
uh, he, he has opening chapters on why discipline is so important. But then in chapters 3 and 4, it's only like six chapters. Uh, chapters 3 and 4, he deals with like the perils of discipline and the problem of thinking discipline is maturity instead of a, a, a form to reach Christ in maturity, that, that you are something because you're disciplined and the self-righteousness that gets involved there. And Josiah's trying to get at that in his legalism series. So even if you're a very disciplined person, the Discipline Life book will help you a lot. A lot, especially the middle chapters. Does that make sense? In fact, some, some pe- most of the people that I know that are the most disciplined people I know struggle the most with feeling kind of righteous about their discipline. <laughs> it's an inevitable problem. We are so sinful that no matter what we do for Christ or whatever, we turn it into sin. We do. And uh, even as you pursue being disciplined by the grace of God, You'll have to read wisdom about how to pursue discipline without getting self-righteous and so forth. And he does a great job of that. I will say that I've encountered uh, people who struggle for discipline um, and who have read a lot of our foundational and intermediate book list, but have never read that book. And I think sometimes we avoid the thing that's going to hit us the the most in in the place we need hit. If you struggle for discipline, I'm looking around to see if there might be anyone who doesn't. Yeah, there's probably one or two. I don't know. <laughs> it's not me, though. <laughs> if you struggle for discipline, uh, you should read that book. And I, I, was, I found it fascinating that I needed discipline so badly that the first 10 or so years I was a Christian, I read that book every year. And I can, I'll never forget, uh, my son John used to have the bedroom that's now Golda's in the basement. And I sit out in the main part of the place in the recliners most of the time. Uh, even though I've started turning off the TV and studying more, I still sit out there. Um, and I'll, I'll never forget my son John, uh, I think is, I don't know if he was still a teenager. I think he was. Coming out of his room, and he, I just finished reading The Disciplined Life. I'm going to read this book every year. <laughs> and I thought, what an interesting reaction. I don't know if I had told him I was, that I read it every year. But it is the kind of book you could revisit every year. And it really would help you. It's very foundational, and it's the best thought-out treatment of the subject I've ever read. And we'll leave it there and start with church membership and when the church is a family next week, because it's late. Thank you for your patience. And... Uh, We'll finish this list next week, then we're going to go on. Uh, I'm going to ask Stephen to do a week on the apologetics list. Uh, And I'm going to do two or three weeks on the further readings list. And uh, then we're going to start a survey of the whole Bible, which I'm working on now. And it will be about 2,000 parts. But, but you'll know the Bible pretty good if we ever finish the series. <laughs>